Welcome to the Bridgeway Church Podcast. My name is David Bowden, and every week I sit down with one or several members of our church staff and host a conversation about how Bridgeway is seeking to fulfill its mission as the Church of Jesus Christ here in our city. If you are a member of Bridgeway, we hope this helps you more deeply engage with what God is doing in our midst. And if you aren't a part of Bridgeway, we hope you feel welcome and that our discussions may lead to more Christ-glorifying ministry in your own context. Let's jump in. All right, well, welcome to the first full episode of the Bridgeway Podcast. I'm sitting here with uh, Sam Storms. Sam, thanks for joining me today. It's good to be with you, David. This is exciting. Yeah. It's going to be good. Um, I'm really excited about this first uh, this first topic. The very first time I sat down to go, okay, if I had room, if I had Sam in a room for 30 minutes, what question would I ask him? And uh, this was the first one that came to mind, which is why preaching? Like, why are, why do we put such an emphasis on the sermon, both in our Bridgeway context and really just as the church in general, as evangelicals, we often put a high value on sermons. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, Sam is obviously someone who cares deeply about the preached word of God, and so I'm very excited to get um, his answer to a lot of these questions that I have prepared for him. So um, the first of which is, uh, I guess we should start with, what's the biblical basis <laughs> for a Sunday sermon? Sure. Well, it's interesting that um, we don't really have what we would call a very detailed description or portrayal of a corporate Sunday service as we conceive of it today in the New Testament. The closest thing we have is 1 Corinthians 14. And one of the things that is mentioned there, I think it's in verse 26, is when Paul says, when you come together as a church, each of you has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. And in saying that somebody comes with a teaching means that they're coming with a prepared message expounding or unpacking some truth of Scripture as it then existed, certainly in the Old Testament, but we know that uh, by the mid-50s, there were all, Paul's letters were already circulating, and his letters were regarded as Scripture. So we know that there was teaching involved in some capacity in an, in an early church gathering. Um, then you think of a passage such as 2 Timothy 4, uh, the first uh, five verses, where Paul is exhorting Timothy, and he says, uh, be ready in season and out of season, preach the word. And in that preaching, what you're doing, you're reproving, rebuking, exhorting with complete patience and teaching. And then he says, the reason is because the time is coming when people won't endure sound teaching. They'll turn away from listening to the truth, which means that what he expected Timothy to do was to proclaim the truth, to unpack the truth, to apply the truth. Um, there are other passages, such as in Colossians 3, where it talks about, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. So we have numerous passages that talk about um, the role of the word of God uh, in the life of, of the people of God in the local church. So there are a number of texts that would, that would affirm that. Uh, um, so I think the, the rationale for preaching is uh, that now that we have the completed canon of Scripture— um, it, you know, the, the New Testament talks about um, contending for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And I think the faith there is a reference to the objective content of divine revelation that was ultimately to be gathered together in what we call the canon of Scripture. 
So um, I think that is at least the, the initial foundations for the idea of preaching um, and what we would call um, a, a sermon or a message. Um, and then, of course, I mean, this kind of gets us into questions we'll get to later in our time here, and that is, what is the purpose of preaching? So I, I could jump all the way over to that and give you a number of texts that describe what happens mm. when the Word of God is proclaimed, what happens in the lives of individuals. Um, and when you look at the effect or the consequences of that proclamation of God's Word, then you begin to understand the rationale or justification for preaching as we understand it. Okay. Um, a couple of other things popped in my head while you're talking, um, one of which I, I've heard people talk about as they defended kind of a normal Sunday service. They look at like Acts 2 and how they submitted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to breaking of bread and to prayer, I think were some of the things listed. Uh, is that a valid place from which to get the idea of preaching, or would that be reading something into the text? Well, I think it would be because let's go earlier in Acts 2. What does Peter do on the day of Pentecost? <laughs> he preaches. Right. He, yeah. takes, he takes Joel. Yep. Uh, and his prophecy of the outpouring of the Spirit, and he unpacks it, and he explains what it means, and then he issues a, an invitation, as it were, a call to repent and sure. to believe the gospel. Um, we see that all through Acts. These, And again, of course, we need to remember, in all likelihood, the same way it is in the, the gospel record, records of Jesus' teaching, in all likelihood, the sermons in Acts are compressed summarizations, it's unlikely that we have the full text of what they would say, but we have uh, summarizations. Most believe that the Sermon on the Mount, for example, that Jesus preached was much longer uh, because you can actually read through the whole Sermon on the Mount in about 12 to 15 minutes. And, right. and, and, and there are indications that he would keep people present throughout the whole of the day into the evening. So, yeah, I think a text like that in Acts would, would certainly uh, be used in this regard. Okay, and then what you actually brought up is a good bridge to the second thing I was thinking of, which is, uh, is it helpful or is it appropriate to look at these examples of preaching, especially in Acts that we see as as a, not, I guess not a command, but at least as an example of the importance of preaching? Because you see them as they go, the, the apostles, they always go out and they're preaching constantly in the synagogues. And so do we derive some of our ideas about preaching or the importance of preaching from just those raw examples as well? I think so. Um, I would be hard-pressed to, to build... A, a, an airtight case for what I call expository preaching based solely on what we read in Acts. Um, but I do what we do see consistently all through Acts and throughout the Bible is verbal communication. Yeah. Um, the explication, if I can use that word, the unpacking, the, uh, the interpretation of what texts mean and how they are, how the old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. Um, and, and then the application of that uh, on the conscience of God's people. Um, the reason why I emphasize this idea of verbal communication is because one of the primary reasons preaching has fallen on such hard times today mm. is because we have, we have grown weary or burdened or even bored by the spoken word, and we are an image-driven culture. Sure. I mean, you think back to the first century, I know it's hard for people today to envision a world in which there was no movie theater, there was no radio, there was no um, Instagram, uh, nothing of a visual nature. Uh, I say nothing, certainly they had art, but I'm, what I'm, my point is they were very much dependent on oral communication. Today, um, people want a dramatic 
uh, presentation. They want a film clip. Right. Uh, they want sound bites um, out of a movie or or some other uh, expression of uh, of artistic media. And so people have have started saying, I'm not real sure that preaching works. Mm. Um, I, I'm not. You know, I look at marriages falling apart and addictions and. Um, just the general boredom that people have in life, and we need something to to energize them other than um, the oral explanation of uh, of biblical texts. And I think it's because of this image driven uh, nature of our world today that so many people have, quite honestly, they've 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 grown suspicious of the power of God's word to change lives. Right. I mean, if you ask them. What's what's gonna what's gonna get me to love my spouse um, in, in a in a genuine authentic way? What's gonna empower me to resist the temptation of pornography? What's gonna enable me to be uh, diligent and uh, honest with the use of my money? And when you respond to them by saying the truths that God has revealed and embedded in the canonical scriptures, as they come to you, come to understand them, and the Spirit of God brings them to light and and embeds them in your heart. People say, "Really? Are you kidding?" <laughs> and and they, they they've just grown suspicious of it. They they don't have a great deal of confidence in the life changing power of God's word. So, proclaiming that word, unpacking that word, applying that word, just doesn't appeal to them. This leads really well into the second question then, um, which is why would we put, or why do we put such an emphasis on preaching? Because obviously you're, you're, you're leaning into this, um, the, this tradition of, we believe that the exposited, preached, spoken word of God um, coming out of his, the canonical scriptures is, has the power to change lives. And so in, in, in our tradition, in a large sampling of the evangelical tradition, a huge part of the Sunday service is given over to preaching. So why is it that Bridgeway and you think the larger church as a whole puts such a large emphasis on preaching on Sundays? Well, I can only answer that for myself, sure. but um, I, I would just cite texts like Romans ten seventeen: faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Yeah. Again, it's by hearing. Well, you have to have something spoken in order to hear it. Uh, and it's the Word of God, or Galatians 3, 5, where Paul says, um, He who um, works miracles among you and, pour, and supplies his Spirit to you, does he do it by works of the law? In other words, does he do it because you jump through religious hoops of obedience, or does he do it by hearing with faith? In other words, there's something that you hear and you respond in faith and that's the catalyst or the instrumentality, as it were, through which God then chooses to work in power in your midst. Or I think perhaps the most, the most explicit declaration of this is in 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, so let me just read this. I have it open here. Um, Peter says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Now we stop right there. Here's Peter saying, the new birth doesn't generally happen kind of willy-nilly. Uh, it happens in response to the living and abiding Word of God. And then he goes on to describe this Word. And in the last verse of chapter 1 of First Peter, 
Um, he says, and this word, that is this word of God, this living, abiding word of God through which you've been born again, is the good news that was preached to you. Hmm. So here's Peter saying in no uncertain terms, being born again is primarily accomplished by God through the preaching of his word. I mean, I, I would rest my case on that text alone sure. uh, to justify uh, the preaching of the Word of God, because uh, that is the primary means, not the exclusive means, not the sole means. I mean, we we hear stories that I think can be verified of maybe individuals in lands where uh, um, the written Word of God is not available. Right. Um, we've heard stories of people having dreams um, of Jesus appearing to them and making himself known through that medium. I think those are exceptional and rare um, the primary means by which he does it is through the preaching of the Word of God. That's why he says in Romans 10, how are people going to believe unless you know uh, there's a preacher? And how is there going to be a preacher unless he's sent? And how blessed are those who bring glad tidings of, of the good news of the gospel? So preaching in some capacity, oral communication of the revealed truth of God, is absolutely foundational to the inception of Christian life and I think to its nourishment as well. That's great. And so you, you hit on a few things here, but I'm going to ask you to unpack them. You talked about faith. You talked about uh, nourishing the Christians, uh, all these things that take place whenever the preached word occurs. Um, so what would you say is the aim of preaching? Well, I could go in many different directions there. I would say the first aim is to awaken faith, uh, because faith is the means by which God is pleased to bestow his blessings like I said in Galatians 3, 5, it's, it's hearing and not just listening, not just, you know, sounds beating on our eardrums, but when we respond in faith to what we hear, God works miracles among us and pours out his spirit. Um, faith is what glorifies and magnifies God more than anything else. It's our confession of confidence in his promises, of our turning away from self-reliance to reliance on God alone. So I would say the first and primary aim of preaching uh, is to awaken faith. Uh, I would add to that that I think my aim, maybe I'm just speaking here a little bit more personally, um, and I wouldn't want to necessarily include every other evangelical in this uh, answer. I look at people in front of me on a Sunday as those whose affections and passions for Christ have very likely grown cold because of the burdens of life, the lies they're hearing in society, uh, the trauma, the tragedies they endure. And what I want to do in preaching is I want to light a fire in their hearts with the revelation of God's truth. I want to set before them such an, uh, I hope would be a persuasive and glorious portrayal of the beauty of Christ and the magnitude of saving grace and God's mercy and power that they are weaned off of reliance upon all the crud in this world, and they find their satisfaction for their souls in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Yes. So I want to kindle this flame in their hearts of love, trust, joy, peace, confidence, hope. Uh, I, I want people... You know, who walk in, and I, I heard I, this isn't original with me. Somebody said that people walk into a, a, an auditorium on a Sunday absolutely convinced 
that their problems and burdens are bigger than God. And I want them to leave knowing that God is infinitely bigger and greater than all their problems. Mm. And so the way I do that is by um, setting before them um, the uh, the, the way God has made himself known to us, his promises in Scripture. Now, let me just add one more thing to that. We're talking about what the aim of preaching is. Uh, this may sound strange, especially to uh, some um, excessively Protestant folk listening to this. <laughs> excessively Protestant. <laughs> and what I mean by that is this. People who react against the notion of sacramental theology. Sure. And, and let's let's stop and define our terms. What we mean by a sacrament is that God utilizes means, sometimes physical, tangible elements, to communicate his presence and his power, his very being to us. So, you know, we who are Protestants think of uh, the sacrament of the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, and these are means that the Spirit of God uses to quicken in us a deeper realization and faith and what those elements represent. Well, I think the Word of God is very sacramental. In other words, I'm not going to argue that now we have three sacraments, (laughs) baptism, Lord's Supper, and Scripture, or preaching, but they are all on the same plane. So I think God actually mediates His presence to us through His Word. So when, when, when we're making known the Word of God, we're not just conveying information. It's not just a transfer of ideas from one guy's brain to another group of people's brains. But in the proclamation of truth, God himself Mm. is revealed and manifest and and present in life-changing ways. Um, You know, it's one thing for me to pick up, um, you know, uh, a volume of Shakespeare's sonnets or, um, you know, some great historian's um, uh, treatment of the Middle Ages. And I can learn from that. I can, I can be challenged. I can even be excited by it. But there is no assurance that God is going to make himself known in all of his glory and greatness in and through any other writings than what we have in Scripture itself. Yeah. Uh, so there's a sacramental dimension to preaching. It mediates to And I heard this from J.I. Packer. He said okay. it mediates to us the very presence of God. That's amazing. I yeah, that's that's a new that's a new thought for me. Even the sacramental nature of preaching. Um, I want to maybe circle back to that, um, but I want to I want to first circle back to something you were talking about: the aim of preaching um, being aimed at faith, um, and, and just because of how flippantly our culture throws that word around, um, that word faith. Oh, just have mm-hmm. faith, you know. Just mm-hmm. just believe, and whatever you believe is great for you. Specifically, when you stand. Um, behind a pulpit with the Word of God, and you're aiming at the hearts of your listeners to stir up faith in them. Um, I mean, I could ask it just blanketly: faith in what, particularly? Sure. Yeah, and let's let's touch on one other point here before I answer that. So, if I forget it, you bring me back sure. to it. Um, unfortunately, and I think all our listeners will resonate with this. They've seen it, oftentimes, all too often. There's an attempt to manipulate an audience or to whip them up into a spiritual frenzy such that they believe things that deep down in their hearts and their minds they probably know aren't true. We're not talking about um, mind control here. What I believe happens is I believe that there is the wedding, we use the word around here, convergence of word and spirit. Um, I don't, I mean, we could all easily 
read the word and be utterly unchanged and even become rigid and arrogant and just puffed up with our knowledge. Remember the how Jesus uh, rebuked the religious leaders, said, you read the scriptures and in them you think you have life. Well, no, but that doesn't mean the scriptures aren't the means by which life is revealed to us, but it has to be done in conjunction with the Spirit. Right. So when I talk about preaching, I'm getting back now around to your original question, when I talk about preaching, having it as, as its goal, the awakening or the, or the kindling of faith, I want to take God's words, which I believe the, the very words of the Bible are the very words of God mediated through human authors. They are the very words that God wanted them to communicate through their own unique personality and cultural context. Yep. The very words of God are bathed in the presence of the Spirit, and the Spirit is the one who when, for example, if I'm, if I'm preaching John 3.16, most famous passage in the Bible, the Spirit of God is the one who takes each of those phrases and words and images and symbols and declarations, and he implants them into the hearts and the minds of Christian men and women. And then he is the one who supernaturally um, awakens in them joy and confidence, and they, and they find themselves saying, wow, you, you really mean that in spite of the fact that I'm a broken, immature a weak individual who who doesn't love people the way I should. I, I I just tend towards selfishness, and yet because I have put my trust not in my ability to overcome all those sins, but in what Christ has done for me, that that means I have eternal life and I will never perish. And the answer is yes, <laughs> but it's only the Spirit of God that can bring that conviction. Right? You know the the Word without the Spirit. Uh, just produces a bunch of arrogant eggheads, um, and we need the Spirit of God. That, that's where, getting back to, again to your question about what is faith, faith is the awakening of the human heart to put complete confidence and trust in the veracity or the truthfulness of God's Word and to believe the promises that He makes in spite of all evidence to the contrary. When the world tells me there is no God, Jesus didn't exist in the first place, he's certainly not coming back again, mm. it is the Spirit of God who impresses on my heart and my mind that, no, that's a lie. What the Bible tells me is true, and I'm, and I'm ever more confident. I hold on to it in the face of adversity and temptation, uh, no matter what may come. Yeah. So when you talk about um, faith being the aim of preaching, um, really, as a preacher, then you're you're submitting then to the work of the Spirit. You, know, you can aim at it, right? But it, you're ultimately saying the Spirit is the one who has to awaken faith in in, in the heart of the hearer. Oh, absolutely! Right. I, you know, I I oftentimes will even end my my sermons um, and go into a time of prayer ministry and, and confess right up front and just say it to the Lord, Lord, I can't do anything more right now. I, I I've 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 studied. I've uh, I've tried to formulate in, in, in clear language and with helpful illustrations what you're saying in your word. But Spirit of God, if you don't take that and somehow, and again, people say, how does he do it? I don't know. <laughs> Mysteriously, supernaturally uses that truth to redirect the inclination of the human heart away from sin and toward Christ. To, to reconfigure the what, the what we value away from insipid, stupid, banal little things in life to putting our, 
our, our trust wholly in Christ and who he is, the spirit of God has to do that. And yeah. I, I just confess, Lord, I can't do any more. All I can do now is, is to cry out to you, draw near, make alive in the hearts of your people these truths, uh, change the way they think, um, r- turn their value system upside down. Yeah. Um, preaching is the means by which the Spirit of God brings that about, but preaching alone can't do it. If the Spirit of God isn't there to, to make that transformation in the human heart, it's not going to happen. talked then about the work of the Holy Spirit um, to, to bring about the actual awakening of faith, the stirring of the affections so that people might be most satisfied in Christ. Um, and then the other end, the other side of that coin that you've talked about is the means of preaching. And so when, when we talk about the means of preaching, um, this, this, is, this is a question that I didn't, I didn't prepare you for, but I do want to talk about then in terms of the means of preaching, what constitutes a sermon then like what mm, sure what what's the makeup of preaching like what what makes what how would you look at something and know oh that was a sermon or that was sure. a guy talking right and in fact we'll just let our listeners know we're actually going to devote a podcast to, to going into this in much greater detail right about expositional preaching yeah, yeah. but that's that's my response and i know there are good and godly evangelical pastors who who would disagree with this right but I think for preaching to be preaching, it has to be rooted in a text. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you can't preach thematically or topically, but when I do that, I always do it textually. In sure. other words, I'm not, I'm not going to come into the pulpit on a Sunday or anywhere with a, with a kind of a general theme that is unrelated to anything in God's Word. I want to root and tether my words to what God has said about this subject in Scripture, but I think um, you can get you can deliver a lecture, you can uh, deliver uh, have a conversation with a group of people, um, but in order for it to be biblical preaching, I think there has to be the communication of God's word. There has to be a textual grounding for what you're saying. You know, we talk about expositing; that is to draw out uh, of the text exegesis, to lead out of the text, not reading into it, but to draw out from it the truths that God wants communicated. So I've, you know, I've, uh, I can think back, for example, to a few talks. I put, I'm using little air quotes, quote, air quotes here, <laughs> talks that I've delivered uh, maybe um, to a, a, sport team, a sporting team before they go out in the field right. or to a group of high school students um, or that. But I wouldn't consider those sermons, I, I wouldn't consider that preaching. It doesn't mean that what I said wasn't helpful to them. But I think preaching, and my, my, again, it's just my opinion. I know people might differ. I think preaching has to be tethered to, grounded in, flow out of a text. So if, if I'm preaching in the way that I think God wants it done, and again, I can't remember who said this. I wish I could give them credit for it. The point of my sermon has to be the point of the text, right. and the point of the text has to be the point of my sermon. They're, they are inextricably related one to the other. And I don't mean like reading a text. Unfortunately, what we hear today in so many so-called sermons, people, a pastor will read a text, and it's like a, a diving board right. into the pool of his own ideas. 
and he might allude back to the text because there's a word there that kind of provokes a stream of consciousness. You know, he just starts flowing in different directions, but it's really unrelated to the authorial intent, the meaning of the, of the guy who wrote the text. So I really, I, I really highlight and, and strongly emphasize this notion that preaching has to be rooted, grounded in um, the biblical revelation and the unpacking explanation and application of that to human hearts. That's really helpful. So is there then a difference between um, this biblical category of teaching and what, how you're defining preaching, or is that kind of more of an inane bifurcation? Should, should we understand those as two different things? And if so, what is that difference? Yeah, I, I, I hear a lot of answers to that question. <laughs> okay. And there are, a lot of them are different. And so, again, I'm just giving my personal perspective. I personally don't differentiate between the two in the way that many would. Um, and let me explain it this way. Here, here's how m- many people will, will draw the distinction. One of two ways, both of which I think are not altogether legitimate. Some will say, well, teaching is... Uh, the communication of ideas, preaching is the application, uh, the enforcing upon the conscience of those ideas. Uh, To me, what good is it to unpack biblical ideas if you don't apply them? Right. And what are you applying if not (laughs) truths that come from the text? Yes. How how can you separate those two? I, I just don't buy that. And then the other distinction some make is kind of it's more not in the content of what is communicated, but the energy. Right. That's how I've kind of always yeah. heard it explained. So, so if you go into a, a class, for example, when I was teaching at Wheaton College, um, I don't think any of my students would have said I was preaching a sermon in class, even when I was unpacking a text, because I was I was getting more granular in the in in the Word of God, yeah. down on the nitty gritty level of words and phrases and syntax and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and I was trying to communicate truths in that manner, but they would say, oh, that wasn't really preaching because it was really kind of dry, and <laughs> Sam wasn't real animated, and he didn't throw his hands in the air, and he didn't raise his voice. And so people think, oh, preaching is when you are passionate and, you're, and your affections are, are aroused. And, uh, and so people will say, well, teaching addresses the mind, preaching addresses the affections or the emotions. Ah. I just can't. I just can't buy that. Sure. Uh, to, to me, even when I'm teaching, if I'm not affecting the emotions and 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 leading people into greater love for God and deeper confidence in Christ and peace and joy and hope and fear and zeal and all the things we talk about as affections, I don't see much use in the teaching. On the other hand, if all I'm doing is awakening affections, but it's not grounded in revealed truth, Mm. then it just becomes hysteria and fanaticism. So, you know, again, I know there'd be different opinions. People listening will probably say, I I don't like that, but I want all of my teaching to address both the mind and the heart. I want it to be uh, passionate, even though maybe the context, maybe it's a classroom rather than a church building. It's a little hard to do that. Uh, but I want also my preaching to have substance and content and to be grounded in God's written word. So I don't draw that big of a difference between the two, even though a lot of most of the people, if you ask most of the people in Bridgeway, for example, they'd say, oh, yeah, I know the difference between the two, um, <laughs> even though I, I I don't really buy into it personally. Okay. Yeah. So uh, now, now I'm just thinking about 
there are these two things that, that we're talking about here, really. It's this conveyance of information and the stirring of the affections, these two different things. And I'm wondering, as, as we kind of bring our time to a close, um, what would, as a, as a person who comes to Bridgeway every Sunday, um, you know, and I'm speaking on behalf of our body here, um, what, what might I do in, as I'm sitting in my chair uh, listening to you or whomever is preaching, uh, and, and, and as, as I want to engage with the information you're giving me and have my heart and affection stirred, like what's my role as a listener? Like what's my position? How do I get the most out of that sermon time? Sure. Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is don't start in that uh, that journey when you walk in the building. Right. And and this again, our lifestyles are so weird today, but I say to people, look. Stop staying out to all the wee hours of the morning on Saturday night. Get Be rested. Come into the service physiologically alert. Um, spend Saturday night and early Sunday morning in worship, in prayer, in reading the text that you know the pastor is going to preach on if you do know what it is. Um, so I think listening and responding begins far in advance of when you sit down in a chair in an auditorium. Um, I, you know, one of my biggest heartaches is that I don't see people carrying their Bibles anymore. Right. Um, well, of course, they're carrying their phones. On their phones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's okay. But unfortunately, they don't even, unfortunately, when they do get on their phones, it's not looking at the Bible. <laughs> it's checking email and text. Um, so bring your Bible, take notes, uh, rehearse after the sermon what you had heard. Don't just let it sit on your soul during a 45-minute segment, but... Um, take it and and make that a part of your daily devotions during the week. That's, for example, one reason why uh, with with every sermon that I preach at Bridgeway, I write up discussion questions, and we send right. them to all our community group leaders. And many of our community groups, that's what their meeting is built around, is they say, all right, let's go back to what was preached on Sunday. Let's look at these questions. Let's Let's go deeper. Sam has asked us some questions here that he didn't even necessarily address on Sunday, mostly in terms of application. It's very rarely in terms of interpretation. What does it mean for me, and how is it going to help me live today and next week? So I think those are very important elements um, in, um, in responding to the Word of God. And let me just throw one more thing in here. Um, we at Bridgeway have, have, have just recently reconfigured the order of our service. Right, yeah. Were you going to ask me about that? I, yeah, I was going uh, to. Yeah. This is perfect. Yeah, yeah that's a perfect way to do it because it leads right into that. Um, normally, um, you go into a church and you have a time of singing and announcements and so on, and then you have the, the sermon at the end. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't want anybody to think that I'm being critical sure. because we did that for years here, right. and we still might do it on occasion, but... Um, I, I've come to believe that our singing, our response in worship is uh, on the basis of what we have just heard and ha- what has been ingrained in our hearts through the proclamation of God's Word. So I use three words, um, and I stole these from John Piper, so i got to give John credit for them. Um, the words are education, exaltation, that's with spelled a. with a U. No, that's <laughs> with, with a U. U. Oh, the U, sorry, and I messed then, it up. And then exaltation, exaltation with an A. In order to, to it, we need to be educated. Right. We need to learn. I, that doesn't, I know people says, God, that sounds so scholastic. It sounds so heady. Well, um, you know, just, just envision for a moment 
what we're talking about, we're just talking about learning, hearing, believing the word of God. You have to be educated. If you're not educated, the God you worship may not be the God of the Bible. Right. And I think you've done a good job already in our conversation, like laying out the the inseparability. You can't separate like the affections being inflamed and right. the knowledge from the scriptures. Yeah. So yeah. So we want to be educated, which, which leads to exaltation with a U. We exult in God means we enjoy him, we delight in him. Which issues in exaltation, spelled with an A, of God. He's lifted up. He's extolled. He is praised. He's honored. And so if that process is, is, is legitimate, then it seems reasonable that we would first educate by the exposition of Scripture, which would cultivate in our hearts joy and delight, which would then issue in our corporate celebration and singing. Now, can that be accomplished with a different sequence of, of all the elements of a Sunday morning? Sure. Um, but I just, I have found it to be tremendously helpful. Yeah. Uh, almost a, to paint it more of a picture, you, you would hope then um, kind of the ideal layout would be uh, you you open the text, you exposit the text. And while you're doing that, the, the, the listener is sitting there and their affections are being exalted within them. They're enjoying Jesus in the moment. They're they're, they're enraptured in that, and it's almost like when the first song starts, they're ready to bounce out of their chair and exalt, right? Abs- like Absolutely. That's, that's kind of the picture of it. It's like we're sitting there stewing, we're ready to worship, and then if we're not given that opportunity, it's almost like this, I don't want to say wasted energy, but it is surely not capitalized upon in the moment where we want to so worship God after a sermon um, that we, we, we have put the worship after that that piece, um, which I've enjoyed, like as a member of Bridgeway, I've really enjoyed it, um, worshiping out of sermons. I've, yeah, I've loved and, it. And again, I don't want people to think that oh, we're sure. that we're canonizing that sequence <laughs> as if somehow the Bible mandates a particular right. order. It doesn't. But I think in terms of the principles here, you know, if you get up and you spend 15, 20, 30 minutes of singing, sometimes you have to ask the question: Now, why did I just sing that? What? what where did that come from? Was that just me being caught up in the euphoria of the moment and the music? But when you're responding and singing to what you've just seen in God's word, it just seems to make better sense to me. Mm. So is there is there a way, this will be my last question, is there a way that we as listeners can foster exaltation with a you as we're being educated in the moment of the, of the sermon? Well, yeah, I think so. Um, I think... At, at every point along as you're listening to the truth of God's word being explained, as it's being exposited, as you're being educated, you need to be prayerful. Yeah. I, I mean, you were, this goes back to your earlier question. How, how do we listen? Well, it's not just with the mind. It, there's a response in the heart of pr- prayerful attentiveness saying, oh, Lord, what, what did he Wow. I never saw that in that verse. That is glorious. I can't believe that you love me like that. Oh, that I might love you better in return. Or, or you know, a word that is spoken that brings peace and calm in the midst of a life that's just out of control. So I think prayer, uh, responding to, the, to, to what we're hearing prayerfully, turning it back into dialogue with God mm. is an excellent way to do that. I love that. So almost like the, the praying in the moment, thanking God in the moment, um, even worshiping there in the moment as we're listening to the sermon um, in, in our hearts. Absolutely. I love that. Okay, yeah. that's really helpful. I think it's also helpful to, to maybe to close out the program um, for you to to share with us what you always end up 
uh, maybe you missed it once once a year, but most of the time you pray one thing before you start preaching. And yeah. now, I mean, it's something that now now when I travel and preach, I always pray it too. Um, yeah. uh, can you share with, with us what that is? Yeah, um, Psalm 119, yep. verse 18. Um, and you got different translations, but uh, where the psalmist says, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your word. Um, and that just alerts us, first of all, to our utter, absolute dependency upon God. Um, if I come in pompous, prideful, thinking that, well, because I'm especially intelligent, highly educated, I can understand everything in God's Word. Well, yeah, you can understand conceptually what a guy's saying in a sermon or what the text is saying. But do you behold the wonder of it, the beauty of it, the majesty of it? Uh, for that, we need the Spirit of God. And bottom line is, we are by nature a people with closed eyes. We don't behold. We don't see. We don't grasp it in the way that we should. So I just cry out, Lord, um, open our eyes. Spirit of God, grant uh, enlightenment, illumination, so that we might behold uh, not just things in your word, but beautiful things, wonderful things. We might see them for what they are and respond as we should. So Psalm 119.18 is a great text to begin with. I love it. It sets up that that beautiful um, double action, that almost sacramental moment of the sermon when you're saying, it's not just me up here, it's the, it's the Spirit, and if He doesn't move, um, that awakening of faith, which is the aim of, of preaching, is not going to occur. So Sam, thank you so much for being with us on our first long-form podcast, and uh, we're looking forward to having you on more and more, probably about once once a month we'll have you on uh, talking about stuff. And this then is great. I've loved it. Good. And then uh, I'm, I'm already excited about uh, you being on for a month straight as we uh, go into the Convergence Equip, the conference that we'll be hosting here. Um, we'll start that at the beginning of July, our podcast leading up to the end of July when we're actually hosting the, con- the, the conference. We'll yeah, be talking so, about prophetic ministry and everything like that. So, so let's just make a free advertisement Go here. for it. Uh, convergenceconference.org. Just go to www.convergenceconference.org. And we're holding uh, what we're calling a, an equip seminar that's going to be more hands-on, practical-oriented. Uh, and the first one, July 26 through 28, how to build a prophetic ministry in the local church. It's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to our conversations leading up to it. And um, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast, where you will find a new conversation every Thursday. For more information about Bridgeway Church, we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BridgewayOKC, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchOKC. If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at bridgewaychurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.